You're listening to the Keith to the City podcast. All right, the Rangers kept their winning ways going on Thursday night. A huge come-from-behind win to erase a two-goal deficit against the Wild, and the Rangers now have played 750 hockey since their 10-day layoff, going 6-2. and two. Uh, If you divide up their schedule, the four mini-game schedules, they've done what they need to do, going 3-1 and one in both of their first sets of four after their 10-day layoff, and uh, their postseason dreams are still alive. They're going to need to continue to win 75% of their games to have a chance to reach the playoffs. It's going to be a tall task. It's going to basically take a miracle the rest of the way for them to get in the playoffs in what was a season that was never supposed to be at the, about the playoffs. It was supposed to be about experience and development, not necessarily wins and losses, certainly not the playoffs, but here they are with a chance in the final about six plus weeks of the season to make something happen. Uh, their timeline really to make something happen is much shorter than that as the trade deadline is just 10 days away and the front office will have to decide whether this group is worth keeping together, not just for this season, but in future seasons. They would have to do some serious uh, cap maneuvering to be able to do that, extend Chris Kreider, keep Tony D'Angelo, figure out the goalie situation, what to do with Ryan Strom. There's a lot of decisions to be made. But before we get to the trade deadline, the Rangers have some more big games coming up and none bigger than Friday night in Columbus at Nationwide Arena, where there's four-point swing potential against the Blue Jackets, a team the Rangers are currently chasing in the standings, a team that is dealing with a serious injury bug right now, a team that is ripe to be taken down uh, just as the Flyers are with their gauntlet schedule. So the two wildcard teams between Columbus and Philadelphia both certainly are there to eventually be caught. Uh, the Rangers do have to do some jumping over Florida and Carolina to get there, but if they continue to play the way they've been playing, while it is still likely that they won't make the playoffs, uh, the longer they can play meaningful hockey and prevent the elimination from setting in the better it will be after what's gone on the last two years. And joining me today to talk about the Blue Jackets with the Rangers in Columbus on Friday night is Jeff Sloboda, the Blue Jackets team reporter for their website. And we talk about everything from the state of the Blue Jackets in a season when they weren't expected to contend for a postseason spot, just like the Rangers after losing so many star players to free agency, um, the void Artemi Panarin left there, the differences between John Tortorella in New York to Columbus, and what the Blue Jackets roster might look like after the trade deadline. So here we go. All right, and joining me today to talk about the Blue Jackets with the Rangers set to play the Blue Jackets once again on Friday night is Jeff Saboda, the Blue Jackets beat reporter for BlueJackets.com. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going well. How's it going for you? It's it's going well. Uh, I know we got to see the Rangers Blue Jackets twice already this year, once in December, the Rangers uh, winning that game 3-2, and then the January collapse for the Rangers at home at the Garden, the 2-1 crushing loss. Um, they've gotten a taste of the Blue Jackets style of play, these low-scoring affairs that the Blue Jackets seem to be in every single game, and they seem to come out on top every single game. Uh, it's pretty remarkable what they've done this season now, holding on to one of the wild card bursts, knocking on the door of one of the Met bursts. Uh, are you surprised at what's going on now through basically two-thirds of the season? Well, I think that if you asked me at the start of the season, they're kind of where I thought they would be. I kind of thought, even though that they, they lose a number of players, and everyone talked about that uh, in the offseason with you know, Sergei Bobrovsky and certainly uh, Artemi Panarin, who uh, Rangers fans have come to know quite well, uh, and the players leaving, uh, the national talk was about everybody that had left, but I think people had kind of forgotten about a lot of the players that were still here uh, and kind of the young core that the Blue Jackets have built over the last couple of years and, you know, guys like Oliver Bjorkstrand and Pierre-Luc Dubois and Seth Jones and Zach Korinsky, uh, guys that the Rangers have seen 
uh, quite a bit over these last couple of seasons. Uh, but the, how they got here is not how I thought the Blue Jackets would get here. You know, it was a really rough start. Uh, you know, only 11 wins in the first 29 games, and one of those was a game against the Rangers in Nationwide Arena, where the Blue Jackets outshot the Rangers 47 and 19, and still lost that game. And that was kind of how the first couple months of the season went for Columbus. Uh, and then suddenly they got red hot, and I, you know, it, it's been uh, a stretch that's been almost as long as. Uh, about a 30-game stretch now where the Blue Jackets have only, have points in all but three games. So they've become red hot, and they got red hot through injuries. Uh, you know, everyone knows, just paid attention to the NHL, uh, the guys that have been out for the Jackets, uh, it now includes guys like Seth Jones, who will probably miss most of the regular season, if not all, uh, with an ankle injury. You know, Cam Atkinson is hurt. He had 41 goals a season ago. Uh, and the list just goes on and on from there. Uh, so they're about the team I kind of thought they would be, but I just didn't think this was how they would get there between the injuries and starting off as slowly as they did and then getting as hot as they've become. Uh, it's, it's been a really interesting season in Columbus, that's for sure, because you would, you've never drawn it up this way, uh, but now they're, they're still in the thick of it as we uh, reach kind of February and we reach the stretch run here. Certainly, and I think with uh, Artemi Panarin, I know as a Rangers fan, someone who got to see him play a good amount when he was with Chicago, when he was with Columbus, certainly never really on a game-by-game nightly basis. And to see the player he is, I mean, he has really an outside chance of breaking Yermir Yager's uh, single-season points record for the Rangers at 123. He's made every player around him better. Um, the help that he's sort of gotten on his line is, isn't really offensive help with Jesper Fast and Ryan Strom. Um, and you look at some of the numbers he helped guys like Cam Atkinson produced in Columbus, and now to have him no longer there, uh, it's got to be weird life without Artemi Panarin after the two wildly successful seasons he had with Columbus. Oh, absolutely. He was a tremendously fun player to watch in Columbus. Uh, from, the, from the first game, he was a Blue Jacket. You saw him play and thought, man, this guy is. I mean, his talent just jumps off the page. Uh, but, uh, but on top of that, certainly his ability to make the players around him better, the ability to take over games, the ability to really feel like a dog on a bone when it comes to loose pucks and stuff. Uh, you know, everybody talks about his, his offensive skill, but, you know, just his, his battle level and the competitiveness that he have, uh, has uh, really jump off the page as well. Uh, so he was a tremendously fun player to watch over the last two seasons. Uh, and I think if you ask the Blue Jackets, of the guys who left this offseason, uh, the one that they really wanted to, to re-sign was Artemi Panera. Now, this is a guy that's kind of in the prime of his career. There just aren't many guys in the National Hockey League that create uh, as many offensive scoring opportunities as he does. You know, Bobrovsky is a little bit older. You know, Matthew Shane's been up and down uh, uh, in his career as well. But, but Artemi Panera is uh, just a certified stud. Uh, that's a guy that the Blue Jackets did everything they could to do to re-sign and I think he just wanted to end up in a, in a bigger city, and I, I totally understand that. That's absolutely his right. Uh, I'm sure he enjoys kind of the, the glitz and glamour of New York, and it's fit in very well, obviously, with that Rangers team. Uh, I said, a guy that if anybody in the NHL would love to have Artemi Panarin on their side. And, and the Blue Jackets have had to change the way that they play this year. They are not nearly as run and gun and as up-tempo as they've been in past seasons. Uh, this is a team that is trying to win kind of defense first. Uh, and the large reason is because they don't have guys like Artemi Panarin anymore. So it's kind of changed the way the Blue Jackets have had to play. They've adapted really well uh, and really taken that, that style to heart. Uh, but at the same time, if, if, you know, if Artemi Panarin walked down the hallway uh, on Friday night and put the Blue Jackets sweater back on, they'd take him in a second because <laughs> the, the ability that he brings is, is pretty incredible. 
you mentioned Sergei Bobrovsky, and I know re-signing him would destroy the Blue Jackets cap situation as signing a goalie to any type of deal that he got with Florida would do so. Uh, but it seems like maybe they dodged a bullet. You mentioned how he's older. Um, he's certainly, I would say, probably on the back nine of his career, if not right about to start it. Uh, he hasn't had a very good season for Florida. I know their defense certainly isn't what it, uh, what the defense he was playing behind in Columbus and certainly what Columbus's defense is this year. But uh, with what Elvis has done and really the Columbus goaltending as a whole, I mean, not really re-signing Bobrovsky seems like the greatest decision they made of the entire offseason. <laughs> yeah, and I think they knew what they had a little bit, too. I, I think the, the Blue Jackets knew, uh, if we want to start with Elvis, who is you know kind of the word on everybody's lips around the NHL right now, uh, I, you, you never really know what you're going to have when you bring over a goalie from Europe just because it's such a different style of hockey, uh, and he had never played on a smaller rink in his career. Uh, and, and so there were, there were certainly question marks about how he would adapt, but they knew this guy was talented. Uh, you know, they'd watched him play over in Switzerland the last couple of years. They'd watched him play in the uh, World Championships, and they'd seen him play against NHL players at that level. And so, you know, they knew this guy was pretty good. It was just a matter of how his transition would go. And it actually got off to quite a bumpy start. Uh, he, you know, he played in 10 games without a win at the start of the season. But as soon as he kind of became the starter and got comfortable, he's just absolutely taken off. And they're certainly playing good defense in front of him. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but at the same time, this guy, his athleticism and just his, his compete level uh, and his talent and his charisma are just off the charts. Uh, and it's been really fun to watch uh, you know, from just the way he plays the position to the enthusiasm he has when, when they win a game and he jumps into the arms of Captain Nick Foligno. Uh His personality and, and just uh, the, the way that kind of the, the, the vibe around him are just really special. And so it's been, it's been pretty fun to see uh, how he's become a key part of this whole thing. And then uh, Jonas Corposalo was an all-star before he got hurt, and with net, which is what gave Elvis the chance to take the net. And you know he was the guy who had been the backup the last couple of seasons. And I think the Rangers have played him a couple times, so you probably know that name as well. Uh, but he, he was playing the best hockey of his career when he went down in late uh, late December with an injury, and he was playing at an all-star level, made the all-star team. And and they knew that if if they gave him more starts and that he wasn't just backing up up Ross, he was going to be a better goalie. Uh, so I think they knew they had some pretty good players, no matter. Uh, you know, who was going to be in the net. One of these two guys was going to be able to kind of take the reins and run with it uh, after Sergey left. And so I think they felt pretty good about what they had. It's probably worked out even beyond their wildest dreams, just how well these two guys played. But uh, I think they knew that they had some pretty good goalies. And there's even some guys, uh, Matisse Kivlenix, who came up and won that game in Madison Square Garden, uh, is a very thought, highly thought of guy in the organization as well, who's a younger goalie. And they've got a guy down in, in the uh, AHL as well who's playing pretty well. Uh, the goalie pipeline in Columbus is pretty strong, and it starts with someone like Elvis, who theoretically could have this job for the next six or seven years if he wants it, because he's, he could very well be that good. Well, aside from losing Panera and Bobrovsky, Duchenne, Dezingle, uh, you mentioned all the names earlier, uh, it's crazy what the Blue Jackets are doing. And I go back to last season when they sort of went wild at the trade deadline and sort of went for it in a year where they probably could have cashed in heavily on guys like Panarin and Duchenne and Dezingle and Bobrovsky and uh, really been set up for the future. But they went for it, and I think everyone respects them for doing that. Um, they got into the playoffs in the last game of the season, and then they go on to sweep the Lightning, who had a historic run, one of the best um, post-lockout really modern era seasons in the history of the NHL uh, and to me you know everyone was shocked by it and I think anyone's shocked by an upset or uh, a four game sweep at that matter but the Blue Jackets were really good last year and I feel like if the season had been maybe 92 games instead of 82 they would have climbed the standing substantially and they wouldn't have been an eight seed I really thought they were going to beat Boston in the second round I really thought after getting past Tampa Bay they had a chance to possibly go all the way to the Stanley Cup but um, it, it's you know just going back I I really do respect what the organization did and not trading away and selling at a chance where they really could have. 
Well, I think that they looked at it and they realized, you know, if you you certainly could have traded those guys at the at the deadline last season and then gotten some parts um, and gotten some pieces, but but I think that you know this organization, you know, the history of the organization, and it's it's twenty years old at this point. Uh, and going into last season, they never won a playoff series, and I think they kind of realized, like, you know, if we're ever going to win, you know, it's going to be with guys like Artemi Panarin and, and Sergei Bobrovsky. You know, they acquired those players to help them, you know, chase the dream, chase the Stanley Cup, you know, try to win playoff games and win playoff series. And they knew if they traded those guys, it was going to be a step back. And maybe it would have been a step back that set up a brighter future. But, you know, they had kind of built the organization to, to make a run last season. Uh, and they had those two guys who were, who were elite players playing at a very high level. And they kind of said, you know, if, if we're going to, you know, we've been building this for long enough. If we're actually going to try to win a series, this is the year while we have these two guys that we have to try to do it. And so they went, made those moves. And, you know, they did get the playoff series win, which is one of the most memorable uh, series probably in, in recent memory, uh, not just for Columbus, but around the NHL with that upset of Tampa Bay. Very well could have beaten Boston. It was a six-game series, and uh, some of those games were overtime games and games that were, were won late by the Bruins. And so, uh, you know, they, they, they took their shot, and, and I think it, would, it made sense to take the shot at the time that they took it. And they kind of knew that this year would be a different year, but, but the core is there. I kind of mentioned earlier that young core, and they've got, you know, pretty much this entire roster, which has some really, you know, high-level young players in the Dubois and the Joneses and the, the Warinskis and some of the other guys that they've got. They've got it pretty well locked up for the foreseeable, you know, the next two to three seasons. And so they knew that if they, if they, even if they didn't re-sign anybody, that they still had a chance to be pretty good going forward. But one thing I'll tell you that that playoff series win kind of did for this franchise, and, and they, you'll see, you still see it now. Uh, I think this team believes that it can win games. I, you know, this, these guys have been together for a long time. They've got a core of players who have played together for, in some cases, seven or eight years, but in, in other cases, three to four years. Uh, they've learned how to win in that time. You know, they went from a, a franchise that hit literally never won to a franchise that now expects to win, and that playoff series really cemented that belief that, that this is an organization that expects to win. And I think that's helped them a lot this year with all the injuries and all the things that they've gone through and what really was a rough start. I mean, they only win 11 of your first uh, 29 games. They were 11 points out of a playoff spot 30 games into the season. So they had really played themselves uh, into a corner. But the, the belief never wavered, and, and they've been able to get through everything that, that's been thrown at them and come out on the other side and be a playoff contender yet again. So uh, all things considered, I think it was the right move to try to, to go for it a year ago. Uh, it didn't have the ultimate goal, uh, the ultimate outcome that they probably wanted, but at the same time, uh, it, it really cemented the belief in this franchise of what they're trying to build here. Over the last seven, eight years, there's been a lot of Rangers, Blue Jackets connections, whether it's Rick Nash, Brada Dubinsky, Marion Gabrick, Derek Dorsett, um, and, and none's really been bigger than John Tortorella, who certainly had his ups and downs with the Rangers, got them to the point where they could get to the conference finals, and then it became Elaine Vigneault to get them over to the hump and get them to the Stanley Cup final. Tortorella, I mean, he, he sort of was uh, one of those guys that half the Rangers fans loved him, half of them hated him. Uh, he's now five years into his time in Columbus. You, you cover him on a daily basis. You interact with him all the time. What's it been like? Do you see differences in him from his time in New York to what his time is now in Columbus? I think there are some differences. He's not quite the same guy, uh, whether that's just getting older or whether that's just the fact that he's not in you know, a media market like New York City that uh, can be overwhelming and, and demanding uh, at times, certainly, and, and as well as should be. Uh, whatever it may be, I, I think he – I hate to say he's mellowed out some because he still has the same <laughs> – uh, the same intensity, and, and we, you know, if, if you saw it a couple of months ago, or about a month and a half ago, when uh, the, the game where uh, Jonas Corposalo got hurt, uh, and the, uh, there was a situation oh, yeah. late in the game where the refs <laughs> should have put time back on the clock, and he comes out and 
you know, gives a minute long rant about the refs and then finishes it with, I'm not taking any, you know, blankety blank questions. And, uh, you know, that, that intensity and that fire are still there, but it, but it, it kind of doesn't quite come out, um, the way that it did with the Rangers. But he's also got a different team as well, where, you know, this has been the youngest team in the NHL probably the last three or four seasons, and it still is the youngest team in the NHL, which is, uh, you think at some point the team would grow up a little bit, but, you know, they brought in, uh, a bunch of a bunch of real young guys this year that came over from Europe that have uh, that have kind of filled the hole uh, in the roster and and you know a guy like Brandon Dubinsky is no longer around anyway he's you know with a wrist injury he hasn't been around all season uh, so this team it even got it just keeps getting younger so he's in more of a teaching mode uh, and he has to can't he can't quite be the guy that shows up and blows up every day because it, it just won't work with this group uh, because of, of just the way that it is he's got to teach these guys he's kind of got to show them the path uh, and, and you know he certainly still is. John Tortorella, uh, I don't know that everyone on the team loves being around him every day, uh, but, but he gets the most out of them, certainly, and, and through, through tough love and kind of showing them the ropes. Uh, you know, he's really helped this franchise mature because, you know, this is a franchise that was in the wilderness for the first 15 years. I mean, I, I hate to say that because I work for the team, but if you look, you know, they've been in two playoff series in the first 15 years. They hadn't won any of them. They really hadn't come close to winning any of them. The identity was almost non-existent of what this franchise was supposed to be and he came in and, and really established what it's supposed to be, and, and has really has built a winning culture here. So, uh, you know, I, I, there's certain there's some fans, you know, that, that still, uh, you know, kind of see him as too old school and, and don't quite get what he's doing. But just being around him on a daily basis and seeing what he's done with this young team and, and what he's done just to change the mindset of this organization, uh, it, it's been a total culture change, and he's been at the forefront of it, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, and, and you probably won't see him. Uh, blowing up quite as much as he used to, but at the same time, uh, that that fire and that intensity are still there. That's for sure. Yeah, and certainly, I think everyone respects what he's been able to do in his career, winning the Stanley Cup in Tampa, getting a shot in New York, Vancouver, and now Columbus. Um, he keeps getting chances because he's worthy of them. And I think what he's done this season, given the team and what was expected out of him, um, given the team that he sort of took over from last year and lost all those pieces. I mean, this outside of winning the Stanley Cup, because I, certainly that'll be at the top of the list, but this might be right behind it in terms of uh, a successful season from his career coaching standpoint. Yeah, I would, I would certainly have to say so. And, and he knew coming into the season it was going to be a different year. Uh, it, certainly with the guys that were lost, you know, the talent that was lost, uh, the, you know, the, the Duchesnes and Panarins and Bobrovsky, uh, you know, he knew that they were going to have to play a different style and came in from day one and said, you know, this is what we have to do. Uh, and this is what we have to concentrate on to be successful. And I think that has given them a real identity. Uh, and then it, it, and kind of like I just said with the last question is that they built this team over the years. Uh, you know, just that culture change and that belief in winning and, and a bunch, a group of guys that have grown up together and, and you know, the Nick Felinos of the world and, and Dubinsky when he was still here, uh, and the Seth Joneses and, and David Savard and Cam Atkinson and, you know, guys who had just been here for a long time. You know, they've all grown up together and learned how to win together. And I think being part of, of a torch program has been a big part of that. And that's helped them so much this year, uh, through everything that's been thrown at them because it hasn't been an easy year. You know, the, uh, said it was a terrible start. You know, the injuries mounted. You know, they played, you know, they basically had half a minor league lineup out there at times, and it just hasn't phased them. And it goes back to that belief of, of winning that's been built over the last you know, four or five years since John Tortorella got here. So you really have to credit him a lot for what they've been able to build. Uh, it, it's been a long-term process, and, and he will, he'll tell you, you know, he, he's probably at the end of the road soon. Uh, he's not going to be coaching for uh, 10 more years. Uh, you know, at some point, he's going he's gonna to take it. Uh, kind of go back to the farm and you know with, with his horses and his dogs and enjoy enjoy your nice retirement that's been well deserved. But in the meantime, uh, you know what he's done here right now, it really is an incredible coaching job with all the the adversity that's been thrown their way. So uh, and it just goes to the steadiness of the ship that he's built over these last couple of years. 
And I know about all the, the man games lost to injury for the Blue Jackets. You had mentioned earlier, and Seth Jones is out. Kim Atkinson's now going to be out for a few weeks. Um, it just seems like at some point, when, when do the Blue Jackets break? They keep losing players, some for season-ending injuries, like guys like Dubinsky who haven't played at all. Now guys coming down the stretch who are going to be missing time. But it seems like their depth keeps just filling in and doing a great job. Uh, losing Jones and Atkinson now certainly isn't ideal. From a depth standpoint, what do the Blue Jackets do to fill those spots in? Yeah, the Jones one's going to be the hardest one to, to really overcome. The, the thing that had really been good for the Blue Jackets is, uh, you know, they hadn't really lost any centers, and this is an organization that is not very deep right now at center. Uh, and so they, they had not had any injuries at the center spot uh, through the through the first 50 games or so. And then, you know, and Seth Jones had been healthy, and Seth Jones is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. And now they're missing a center in Alexander Winberg, and they're missing Jones. And so the, the, these are two new injuries uh, that really hurt this team. Uh, you, you can find wingers and slot them in and, and hope you can go from there. You, you can, they've got defensive depth that they can plug in guys, but uh, you know, they're kind of hurting right now, and, and we'll see how it goes from here. Uh, you just don't replace Seth Jones 25 minutes a game. Though. He's one of the elite players in the NHL for a reason. Uh, they've got Marcus Udovara, who's been with the team the last four seasons. Uh, he stepped up to play with Zach Wierenski on kind of that top pair. Uh, and time will tell how that will go. I'm a big fan of his game. Uh, but his last two seasons have been up and down, rather inconsistent. He's been injured this year as well. Uh, and so whether he sticks there or, or whether they, they make some moves as, as the kind of rest of the season goes on uh, remains to be seen. He's, he's getting the first crack there, and he, he's a puck-moving guy who could fill in those roles, but he's just not a 25-minute-a-night workhorse guy like Seth. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of handle this whole thing. You know, They've got a shutdown pairing uh, in, in David Savard, who's been with the team for the past eight seasons. Uh, and then a rookie who's come over from Russia named Vladislav Gabrikov, uh, who's got tons of personality and is just a great player uh, and is really fit, fit with Savard and being kind of a shutdown pair. I think those guys are going to get more chances defensively uh, to play more and more minutes. I think they played each about 23 or 24 against Tampa Bay the other night. Uh, those are the guys that are going to really probably see a lot of Artemi Panarin uh, coming up here in Nationwide Arena along with uh, Warrenski and Nudavara. Uh, but, yeah, they, just, they do just keep kind of finding depth. You know, they knew coming into the year, the defensive depth was going to be really good. And, you know, they didn't anticipate all the injuries that they've had, but uh, that's how they've kind of survived there. And then forward-wise, they've had to go down to the, to the minors and bring up a bunch of guys, and, and they've, they, you know, they've gotten better performances probably than they would have expected out of a lot of those guys. And, and some of them are young guys. Like, there's a uh, – you won't play against the Rangers, but they've got a guy that they're calling up uh, named Liam Foodie, who's the, the first-round pick two seasons ago, who was playing in the OHL, uh, who's getting some time right now when they can fit him in. Uh, you know, they've got some other younger guys they called up from the, the AHL. And, and then there's a guy like Jason Gerby, who's 32 years old and looked like his NHL career was over. Uh, and he comes up from the minors and plays a big part of this and has become a key part of what they're trying to do. Uh, they just keep finding guys, and, and they slot them in, and, and it keeps working out somehow. So <laughs> a lot of the credit goes to the scouts and the minor league people and just the, the whole depth of the organization to put this whole thing together. Well, less than two weeks to go to the trade deadline. You just mentioned about all the options they have uh, within the system to, to plug these holes and fill these holes left by the injuries. Uh, do you see them going out and getting help from outside of the organization, or do you think they'll just continue to, to fill from within? I think the thing that kind of hurts them a lot is the Seth Jones injury, because the strength that they could have really dealt from is on defense. I, I think that they've got 10 or 11 guys in the organization right now who are legit NHL defensemen. And so if they were going to make a trade, it was probably going to be from some of that defensive depth to help up the scoring. Because even when they've been playing well, the goals have not been 
Uh, you know, they've been a middle of the pack team offensively, even when playing well. So, you know, if, if there's a criticism or a, a weakness on this team, it's that they probably need a little bit more scoring punch. Uh, so you could have seen them making a deal that really revolved around a defenseman. Uh, but with Seth being out now, that really hurts their ability to do that. Uh, and so that, that really takes away the flexibility, I think, that they had. Because they don't really want to trade a lot of picks. You know, they traded a lot of picks the season ago. Uh, they, they need to replenish some depth uh, in the organization on the prospect level. Uh, so they're not going to trade the first-round pick. They've already traded their second-round pick. Uh, it was in the Ryan Zingle deal a year ago. So uh, they, they, I don't think they really want to move a ton of picks, if anything. Uh, and so then if you want to boost your scoring, you're probably not going to trade a forward either. Um, there's been some talk about trade talks around Josh Anderson uh, just because uh, he's going to be a restricted free agent this upcoming season. Uh, he's a guy that's been injured most of this year. He has not performed this year. But he was a 27-goal guy a year ago, so would you be able to get a lot for him uh, but I, I almost just feel like if you're going to make a trade, uh, you're not going to get anybody than, who's better than Josh Anderson up front if Josh Anderson comes back and plays like Josh Anderson. Uh, so uh, you know that kind of really handcuffs them there. So as far as, you know, I could see them maybe making a depth deal or two, but I just don't see, especially after the Jones injury, how they're going to be able to do a whole lot at the trade deadline. But uh, Jarmo Kekalainen, the general manager, is a guy who's not afraid to make a big move, not afraid to shake things up. You know, he's not afraid to make a big move. If, he, if it ends up being the right move. And so, you know, I can sit here and say they're not going to make any crazy moves, and you just never know with this guy. Uh, but as I look at it right now, I just don't see exactly how they would, you know, move the parts that they need to move to make something happen in that regard. But, you know, that's why it's the trade deadline. All right, Jeff, two games left between the Rangers and Blue Jackets uh, this Friday at Nationwide in Columbus, then one left at the Garden later in the season. So a possible four-point swing on the table here Friday night. Thanks for coming on and talking Blue Jackets. It's good to get the insight, and uh, enjoy the game on Friday. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. All right, thanks again to Jeff for taking the time to come on and talk about the Blue Jackets with the Rangers in Columbus on Friday night. Uh, it's a big game. It's the biggest game of the season to date. Uh, I realize every game from here on out is pretty much the biggest game of the season, but when you're playing a team that you're trying to catch the four-point swing potential, um, an interdivision rival at that, uh, it is the biggest game of the season. So the Rangers can keep the good times going. They can pick up another win, start their next mini four-game schedule off on the right foot, and see how far this thing goes. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. City.